So we are staring down 2020, aren't we? It's right there. So I thought it'd be really fun to do like we always do and, and come up with the top 10 list of New Year's resolutions for 2020. So I started to wonder, well, what, what are they? And then I remembered, well, we don't wonder anymore. We just Google, right? So I Googled them and here they are. Are you ready? Okay. Number, oh, I always forget my glasses. Okay. There we go. Number 10. Okay. Now let's, in your mind, just see if you could guess what I'm going to say ahead of time. Okay. Uh, and I'm going to try to make fun of these, you know, like through myself and stuff like that as we go along. So number 10, set aside time for yourself. So don't forget. Let's see. I'm married. I work full time. I have four kids. I have 11 grandkids. Yeah, right. Okay. Right. Wayne and Sharon, you know what I'm talking about. Number nine, stop procrastinating to the guy that came in at four o'clock this morning and got this sermon ready, huh? Yeah, right. You know I'm joking. Number eight, improve relationships. Well, that's not going to be very hard for me because I don't like anybody as it is. Number seven, stop smoking. Nailed that one a long time ago. Number six, manage stress better to the guy that's married, works full-time, has four kids. To the guy that's married. I checked with my wife before I said that one. (laughs) Number five, you probably thought this was higher on the list, but it's number five, eat healthier. Okay? Well, that shouldn't be too hard. I heard there's a habit burger coming to down, and they serve chicken, don't they? Yes. Number four, get a new job. No, thank you. Not interested. Number three, exercise. Hey, I'm not getting a new job, so I can't afford a Peloton, so forget that. Number two, can you guess what it is? Anybody? Improve your finances. Improve your finances. Now, I don't know if my financial guy is here. There he is right there. So, Jimmy, buy low. All right? Yeah. And number one, I think it's the same every year. Can you guess what it is? Lose weight. That's right. So Jimmy, sell my stock in Doritos and Dave's Killer Bread, okay? (laughs) All right. But really, on a more serious, on a more serious note, uh, we do have a lot to look forward in 2020, as Jim mentioned in his prayer, don't we? And by the time we're done here this morning, I would like to end with coming up with a new list of New Year's resolutions for 2020. All right? Let's pray together. Lord, we just ask for your blessing on this service. Uh, Lord, we pray that as we open your word, uh, Lord, that uh, you light it up for us so that we can not only see it, Lord, so that we can understand it as well. And most of all, Lord, that we can apply it to our lives. Uh, Lord, we're a group of people that want to, want to follow you, and we want to do your will. So, Lord, I pray that these things that we talk about this morning are incorporated into our life as we face this new year together. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, we're going to pick up where we left off in our study in First Peter uh, at the end of April, if you remember, that's, that's the last couple that we, that we heard. Not April, I'm sorry, November. November. Uh, I'm thinking of better weather right now. Uh, we worked through what it means to be uh, examples for Christ in our, ob- in our honorable living by, you remember, by submitting 
to God. We talked a lot about submitting. In chapter 2, verse 12, Peter told us to live such godly lives among unbelievers that they would what? They would see our good deeds and give glory to God. We were instructed, if you remember back to Pastor Andy's sermons, we were instructed to be good examples by submitting to those who govern over us. We should do so because it was, it is God's will that we do that. And we should submit for His sake. We learn that when we submit to the government, we are being model citizens and we're being a good testimony and that our obedience reflects back on God and brings glory to Him. Remember that? And then, uh, likewise, we are to submit to those over us in our work situations as well. And we're to work hard for our employers, doing our best. And as Paul says, work at it with all your heart. Think about that. Work at it with all of your heart as you were working for the Lord. And then we also talked about honorable uh, in living in in relation to our marriages. Um, The instructions to the wives. You want to hear this again, ladies? Here you go anyway, okay? We are submit to submit and respect our guys, our husbands, to be gentle toward them and to trust them. Guys, open your ears. Stop thinking about the football game because here it is for you. We went over to the husband's instructions. We're given to live with our wives, right? To be close to them both physically and emotionally. Us guys are to know and understand our wives and to protect our wives and to honor our wives above all, to honor them because they're co-heirs with us in salvation and the things that God has planned for us. So Peter teaches us in the areas of human authority and family obligations. And he's going to conclude in this section of his letter dealing with our relationships with each other as brothers and sisters within the church. Something we definitely need to hear, isn't it? So if you'll take your Bibles and turn to First Peter, we're going to pick it back up in chapter 3, and I'm going to start reading in verse 8. First Peter 3.8. It says this, Finally, all of you, live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But if you, would, if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord, always being prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that, you, so, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better if it is God's will, 
to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. So as we look at this section of Scripture, I I wanted to remind you of the background leading up to the writing of this letter. You guys remember Nero, don't you? It's said that because of Nero's incredible lust, his incredible desire to build more and more, to build up his empire, that he had to destroy what was already there. Okay? And the Romans believe that's exactly what what happened when Rome was burned. The people were devastated. They were hopeless. They were homeless. And they were not only lost their homes, but they also lost their great temples and their shrines and uh, all of their idols, their idols in their temples and the idols in their own homes as well. And it really messed with them because they thought that their gods were unable to deal with all the devastation that was around them just like they weren't able to deal with it. The Romans were not only hopeless, but they were also resentful and bitter, and they were beginning to get hostile. And Nero knew this. Nero knew that he had better do something about this, or it wouldn't turn out good for him. So he needed somebody to blame. So he looked around, and he goes, hey, why not the Christians? Why not the Christians? They're already a hated group because they're associated with the Jews, and they don't really fit in with the Roman culture. They don't really jive with the Roman culture. And so, boom, the hammer came down on the Christians in Rome. And soon, the the harsh persecution of the Christians at Rome spread to other places in the Roman Empire, as noted in Peter's opening statement in chapter 1, verse 1, if you remember that. So he opens this section that we're looking at today, which we've been going over in chapter 2, verse 11, when he calls them dear friends. Remember, look back there if you don't remember that. He was addressing all of the people in general. Okay, Then he addresses them as individuals in the workplace, as individuals, as wives and husbands. And then here in verse 8, where we started off again this morning, he addresses them all in general again, and he says, finally, all of you. So it's for everybody again. So let's go through this list of virtues, this list of characteristics that every Christian should exhibit. Not only the original readers of 1 Peter, but us today, in today's world, in today's church. These should be things from our life too. And the first one he mentions is what? Harmony. Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Another way of putting this is be like-minded or be of the same mind. And if you remember, that's exactly what Jesus prayed in his prayer in uh, John chapter 17. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. And I like to put my own name in there when I read that. I pray also for Alan, who's going to believe in me through their message. I also pray for Steve when he believes in me through their message and for Dale and for for, uh, all of you. I can't see very good with my glasses on. There you are, okay? Everybody that's going to believe through their message that all of them may be one. Father, just as you and I, you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. 
That's crucial right there. So that they may believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. And then we can go over to Acts chapter 4, verse 32, and we can see this in, on display, in full display, where it says, all the believers were one in heart and one in mind. And all of you must be familiar with what Paul wrote in Romans when he says, for just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the other members. And of course, the different parts of our body have different functions, don't they? You all know that. Uh, the nose doesn't do what the feet do, the eyes don't do what the ears do, and the arms don't do what the legs do, do they? It's all separate. The ears can't see, right? The nose can't hear, all of that stuff. You know that. It's basic stuff. But when you go on a walk through the woods, your body works together in unison. Your body works in harmony, right? It's your legs that carry you along the path, right? It's your nose that smells all the wildflowers and the manzanita bushes and the pine trees. And it's your eyes that allow you to see the majestic mountaintops. And it's your ears that allow you to hear all the birds singing and all the little brooks trickling by as you're walking down the path. It's all, it all works in unison. And so we live as different parts of the body of Christ as we live as different parts of the body of Christ, Paul tells us down in verse 16 to live in harmony with one another. And you can also point to another of Paul's letters as, as you look at 1 Corinthians 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 10, where he says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of the Lord Jesus, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there may be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and in thought. And then how can we not look at what Paul says in Philippians 2? Therefore, if any of you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Now, does this, does this mean that we can't do our own thinking as Christians? That we have to be cookie-cutter Christians, all of us alike, all of us the same? Well, I don't think that. I don't think so. Remember, some of you are the foot. Some of you do the arm. Some of us are the nose, the ear, the mouth, the chin. Some are even the armpit. That's just the way it is, Right? But when it comes to representing Jesus to a lost world, there needs to be harmony here. There needs to be harmony. Let that sink in. Let all of these sink in. And let me just say this. As we go through these essentials for Christian living, these characteristics for Christian living, we need to understand 
that these things that we're talking about are not possible in and of ourselves. They are not. They are possible only because Christ is in us. Isn't that right? Christ is in us. They are a supernatural outflow because of the change that has happened in our life because of what Jesus has done for us. And because his Holy Spirit lives in us. All right, the next one, what does it say? Finally, all of you, be sympathetic, right? This word carries the meaning of sharing the same feeling. It carries the idea of heartfelt compassion for the suffering of someone. I was talking to Megan this morning. I noticed that she had a cast on. And uh, as I was getting ready for this message, obviously I was, I, I was learning to try to put myself in the place of others. And so I was talking to Megan. I was trying to put myself in her shoes and in her cast and on that little thing that she has to ride around on now. You know, I was really trying to practice what I was about to preach this morning. And now I got off track and I lost my place in my notes. So let me look down, okay? Uh, be sympathetic. That's right. Okay. Paul shows us a picture of this in 1 Corinthians when he again uses the, the human body as an analogy. Okay. But as, but God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffer, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. And this is very difficult to do if we're all about ourselves, isn't it? It's very difficult to do if we're uh, worried about what we're going to be buying next on Amazon, or if we're going to, if we're wondering what the next fashion is going to be so that we can go out and get it right away and wear it, or if we're worried about how big we can get our bank accounts, or if we're worried about where we're going to go next and how we're going to get there, right? Very difficult. We, as part of the body, have to be in the lives of each other. We have to be in the lives of each other for this to work. We have to be living in this supernatural state of harmony, harmony that I just talked about. And in Christ, this can and should happen. Shameless plug for the growth groups right now. That's why we think they're so important, folks. Please, if you're not involved in a growth group, please consider joining a growth group because they are awesome. Amen? Those of you that are in them, they are. They give us the opportunity to be in each other's lives. We know each other's highs and lows and we can rejoice together and we can be sad together. If, if it wasn't for uh, the growth group that my wife and I lead, there's no way I would know know Dave and G and Sue like I know them. There's no way I would know Rick and Renee and Jerry and Lori and Louie and Marie and Russ and Nancy and, and the Wilsons and Stephanie and Jeff and Mary Ann and Dale and Jan and all the others that might come to the growth group. There's no way I would know them like I know them right now. Okay? I probably wouldn't give a hoot about old Russ sitting over there struggling with what he's struggling with. But because he's in my youth group, I probably think about Russ every day and pray for him. That's how it should be, folks. 
That's how it should be. If it wasn't for our growth group, there's no way that my daughter, who doesn't even come to this church, having shingles, would have gotten a meal out of the blue from Maria Mahler that doesn't even know her. And that's why it happened, because we're in this together. We're in this life thing together. We have a great example of this in Jesus. When Lazarus died, remember that? What was his reaction? When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell to his feet and said, Lord, if you, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, what's it say? He was deeply moved. He was deeply moved and he was troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And you guys all know the next verse, right? The shortest verse in the Bible. He wept. He cried. He showed sympathy for what they were going through. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him? See how he loved them as well? We could also look at Hebrews to help us with this. Hebrews 13, 3 says, remember those in prison as if you were fellow prisoners. This is hard to do. And those who are mistreated as if you yourself were suffering. How can we be sympathetic unless we are in the shoes of somebody else or unless we try really, really hard to understand what it, me, what it might be like to be in their shoes? Now, there's one we can all work on in 2020, isn't it? Being more sympathetic. The next one is love. Finally, all of you, love. What some would consider the hallmark of the Christian. Love as brothers. I love John 13, 34. Here's some of Jesus' last words. Uh, he's only going to be with the disciples a little while longer. Can you imagine the setting? Think about this. Really try to think about this now. And he says, guys, um, uh, these guys have been through all kinds of things together. They've been witnesses of his miracles. They've been present when he teaches like nobody has ever taught before. Okay? And uh, they have, they've been present and witnessed the awesomeness of Jesus. And uh, they're gathered, gathered in this room, uh, what is to be their last meal together, right? Uh, Judas had just left the room, and he, he went out to go do what he was going to do uh, by denying Jesus or giving up Jesus. And then Jesus is there with his other disciples in the room, and he gathers them in close, Okay. He says, guys, come here. I want to tell you something. Now, I want you to try to imagine this. Think of the most important person in your life, the, the absolute most important person in your life, and they're getting ready to pass away, okay? And they call you, and they say, hey, I want you to come over. I, I've got some things to say to you. Oh, man, uh, sorry, man. I've got, I've got too many errands to run. Right? Oh, I, I, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm meeting Joe for coffee in a little while. I, I can't come over, right? No, you're not going to do that, are you? You're going to drop everything that you have going on, and you're going to go to that person, right? And you're going to get in there, and you're going to sit right next to them. If their voice is, is shallow and, and soft, you're going to get right up, and you're going to put your ear up to them, because Why? You want to hear what they have to say to you because they are so important to you in your life, right? 
That's what Jesus does. He gathers those guys that he was the closest to. And he goes, guys, come here. I'm not going to be with you very much longer. I want to tell you some things. Right? And what does he say? He says, a new commandment I give to you. What? Love each other. Love each other. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Why? Because by this, all men will know that you are my disciples. Let that sink in for a second, if you love one another. Hebrews 13.1 says it again. Keep on loving each other as brothers. 1 Thessalonians 4.9, here Paul is telling the readers how to live in order to please God. And what's he say? Now about brotherly love, we don't need to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you are doing that. You're loving all of the brothers in Macedonia, throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers, to keep on doing it more and more and more. Interesting, isn't it? Here you guys are doing a great job, so we don't really need to talk about loving each other. We don't, we don't need to bring it up. We don't need to mention it. But keep on doing it more and more and more. You guys, seems like it's very important to me. Then we come to Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, and I'll let the scripture speak for itself when it says, Therefore, as God chosen people, holy and dearly love, clothe yourselves. Clothe yourselves. Like you get up in the morning and put your clothes on. Clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if you, if any of you have a, uh, has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, above all these other things, put on what? Love. That's right. Love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Folks, how in the world can we make all these these things work in our lives and not have love? How can we be in harmony and be sympathetic and how can we be compassionate? We can't. We can't be any of these things if there's no love involved in it. So in my mind, on this new list that we're going to make, that one's going to be up there. Okay? That one is really going to be up there. As brothers and sisters, we had better be chasing after this one with all we have because it's vital. Because you know why? They'll know. They'll know. There might be somebody in here that doesn't know Christ. And guess what? They're watching us. They're they're watching how we treat each other. So I want you to think about that. How do you treat your brothers and sisters in Christ? The next one is compassionate. To have compassion is to have mercy and concern. Paul talks about living as children of light in Ephesians 4. He says, if we're to do this, we must get rid of certain things in our lives. So before we can put these things on, we've got to get rid of things, right? Unzip that nasty old coat that you're wearing, unbutton it, throw it to the side, put it in the toter, haul it to the dump. Get rid of it. And what are those things we got to get rid of? Things like bitterness and rage and anger and fighting and slander and every form of malice, he says. And then he immediately says to be kind 
and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Compassion is love in action, isn't it? Compassion is the good Samaritan crossing over the street and taking care of the guy that got, got the snot beat out of him. Compassion is the dad when he sees his son coming from a long way off, uh, uh, not, not going, oh man, here he comes again. He's just going to want some more money, right? No, it's not like that. He sees him and he's filled with compassion for his son. And what's he do? He runs to him. And he grabs him and he hugs him and he brings him back and puts an expensive ring on him and he throws a huge party for him, right? That's what we're talking about, that kind of compassion. Next one is humility. Now to get a good grasp on what it means to be humble, all we have to do is look at who God is and then we have to look at who we are and how great our offenses against him have been. And man, we ought to be humbled. We should be humbled. And that should help us minimize offenses against us and humble us as well. What should Christ-like humility look like? Someone said it like this. Humility is the absence of self in all we say, do, and think. It's pretty good. People with the quality of humility are interested in everyone else. They're not looking to see if you can bless them. They're looking to see how they can be a blessing to you. Humility does not grow in the soil of pride and arrogance, folks. Pride and arrogance are all about self, and they're always looking down at everyone. Humility looks up. Good way to put it. Now, if we can maintain a humble attitude toward each other, those other things like living in harmony with a compassionate, brotherly, considerate Lord, love toward one another, these things will fall in place. They'll fall in place. And we'll be in the place of being a blessing to those that are around us. And at the end of Peter's letter here, he says, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, and he may lift you up in due time. And then it says it again in James chapter 4, verse 10. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up. I always used to tell the youth group, I don't know if you remember this, you kids that grew up in the youth group, but I always used to tell them that, listen, kids, if, you're, if your faith uh, in God is genuine, then you are going to love the things that God loves and you're going to hate the things that God hates. Right? That makes sense, doesn't it? Um, and it's very evident in Scripture that God hates pride and arrogance, and he loves humility. Look at the text here. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with a blessing. Do you see that? With a blessing. Here are two really good examples of this, I think. Um, the first one's in Acts 16. This is when, when Paul and, and uh, Silas got thrown into prison, right? They said some things that really ticked the people off, so they grabbed them. They beat the snot out of them. They threw them in jail, and then they chained them up. Remember that? And so, um, 
At this point, it seems as though they would be in there licking their wounds and, you know, shouting at the other prisoners and having all kinds of bitterness toward the jailer and wanting to break out and get even with him and stuff like that. But no, what are they doing? Do you guys remember the story? They're singing. They're singing in the jail all night long. And so what are they doing? They're blessing the jail. And then in the middle of the night, the earthquake happens. Remember that? And all the prison doors fly open and all the chains fall off of the the prisoner, the prisoners. And the jailer comes in and he sees this and he's going, oh no, and if we could just put ourselves in his place. When that happens, he's going to get his head chopped off. And so he goes and he's ready to just fall on. I'm not getting my head chopped off. I'm going to kill myself. I'm going to fall on my sword. And he's getting ready to do that. And Paul and Silas and all the others, they come running in. They say, wait, wait, don't do that. Don't do that. We're all here. Don't worry about it. And the, the jailer, can you imagine? He was astonished. And he, and he ended up saying, hey, what do I have to do to get saved? What do I have to do to get saved? If Paul and Silas had done what ordinary guys do, like grumbling through the night and plotting a breakout and revenge, spitting on the guards, all that other stuff, then there would be no story of the conversion of the Philippian jailer and his family, right? They led him to Christ right then and there. And then eventually his family, they blessed instead of cursed. And then there's that story over in... Over in uh, uh, Acts chapter 7, there at the end, you guys remember the story about Stephen? Uh, Stephen said some things that really ticked the people off, and so they, they drug him out of town and uh, out to the edge of town, and, and they didn't beat him up. They started throwing rocks at him. Have you ever had a rock thrown at you before? When we was little, we used to have dirt clod fights and rock fights and stuff like that, and it is no fun. I mean, I'm sure back then they were only like that big, but man, if you got hit with a rock, oh man, it's smarts. And in my mind, I picture Stephen getting pelted with rocks, rock after rock after rock. And I'm not talking about little pebbles. I'm talking about rocks that probably fit in the palm of your hand and maybe even bigger. I don't know. And they, th- they just kept coming at him and they just, they just ebbed his life away with every blow, with every blow. And he's right in the middle of that. And what does he say? Listen, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees as as these rocks were coming in. And get this. He cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. He died. He basically prayed a blessing on those people that were throwing the rocks at him. Amazing. As Christians, whether in the church or in the world, The only thing we should be guilty of is sowing seeds of peace and blessing, folks, not dissension and revenge if we don't want our prayers to be hindered. And then a little further down, verses 10 through 12, Peter is quoting from Psalm 34, which was written by King David. You guys all know who King David was, right? He was definitely not a perfect man, but he was also, he sinned some big, big time ways, but he was also known for being a man after God's own heart. And he writes this as he's running from, running from Saul. Remember the story? Because Saul wants to kill him because God had lined up David to be the next king. And there are a couple of occasions where David could have taken Saul out. He could have ended the threats against him, but he doesn't. 
because he wanted to wait for God's timing for him to be king, right? David chose to be a humble follower of God who submitted himself to God's timing. And here, Peter uses this writing of David to build on what he said in previous verses. In this hostile world we live in, we must strive to live a certain way as Christians, shouldn't we? We've got to strive to live a certain way. And we all know how much we can get in trouble. We can get ourselves in trouble by saying the wrong thing. Just the words that come out of our mouth, right? Our tongues are like that little rudder, like James says, like that little rudder on back of a great ship that steers it where it wants to go. Or it's like that little bit that's in that big, giant horse's mouth that turns him to the left or right or forward or backward, right? Or it's like that little bitty spark that starts this huge, huge forest fire. Small but powerful. We need to be super careful about what we say and stay away from putting our foot in our mouths. We must keep our tongues from evil. It's right there. See it? We must keep our tongues from evil and lips from deceitful speech, which should be our standard as Christians anyway. That's something we should be striving for. Like I said earlier, we should hate what God hates and love what God loves. In verse 11, we should turn from evil and do good. Guess why? Because God doesn't like evil. He loves good. That's why we must seek peace and pursue after it because that's what God wants us to do. It says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. God, God never promises the readers of First Peter or you or me a life that was or is going to be easy. Has he? Never has. But he does bless us with the promise of life of deliverance. He promises deliverance from the sin that infects us. And he promises deliverance from the evil one that's always trying to attack us. We are definitely blessed in this life, aren't we? If you don't think so, go to Arizona with us. We are definitely blessed here where we are in this time and in this place. And we should be looking to pass those blessings on to others. Verse 13, not only looking to be a blessing, but being eager to do it as Christians. You guys know why I said, when I gave the announcements, why I said, hey, here's a good opportunity to be a blessing over there at the Wayfair Center? That's why. Right there, there's a good way for us to eagerly be a blessing to somebody, to somebody that needs to be blessed. Uh, I'm going to try to talk my wife into going over there and serving with me at least a couple times in 2020. Think about it yourselves. We should be eager. And even if we suffer in these times of seeking to do good, we should, in our hearts, remember that right there at the, at the, toward the end there? In our hearts, set apart Christ as Lord and always be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks us to give the reason for the hope that we possess. In other words, we should, and the guys, this is going to sound kind of, kind of girly or whatever, but, but I, I'm going to say it anyway because I believe it. In other words, we should be so in love with Christ. We should be so in love with Christ that it overshadows anything and everything else that tries to steal away our hope in him. And we should be willing, ready, and even looking for opportunities to share our hope that we have through Christ. 
to lead somebody to salvation in Christ. I love it when I call the men to share their testimony at men's breakfast because lately it's like, hey, Herb, would you share your testimony? Yes, I'll be there. Hey, Paul, will you share your testimony? Yes, I'll do it. You know why? Because I feel like I have to be ready. And I want to be a good example to the other guys. Hey, Dale, would you share your testimony with us? Yes, I'll do it. I love it when I text the guy and he gets right back to me and he says, yes, I'll do it. Be ready. We should be ready. Always be ready. We have our and we'll go through hard times as Christians, but let's make sure we respond in the right manner. We live in a hostile world, so let's make sure we respond in a right matter, manner by treating each other in the way that Peter instructs us right here. So critical. And by responding to the outsiders with gentleness and respect, like it says in the passage and when, we're the, when there are those that mock us for who we are in Christ, let our behavior, let our behavior speak volumes and volumes of how good our God is. Good message as we come to 2020, isn't it? Okay? You guys ready for a new top 10? Here it is. This comes right out of this, so it should be easy. You don't even need to write these down. Just go to 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 17, and there you have your list. Number 10, stop repaying evil with evil and insult for insult. Number 9, respond to people with gentleness and respect. Number 8, turn from evil and seek good. Can you, can you guess what the next one's going to be? Number 7, seek to be a blessing to somebody. I should have wrote, Seek eagerly or eagerly seek to be a blessing to somebody. Number six, strive to live in harmony. Number five, sometimes that's hard to do, huh? Even in the church. Sometimes that, that person over there bugs you to death, you know? I don't want to have anything to do with them. You know, you don't want to talk to them. You don't want to hear what they have to say. You don't want to associate with them at all, you know? Man, maybe... Maybe you need to a little bit. I'm not saying you have to be best friends with them, but, you know, at least try to live in harmony. Number five, cry out to God for help to be more sympathetic with other people. Number four, aim to double or triple your output of compassion to other people. Number three, Wake up every day asking God, begging God for a humble heart. Number two, can you guess what it is? Put on love. That's it right there. Right toward the top, I told you it was going to be. Put on love because it's who, it makes us who we are, folks. And they'll know. They'll know. Oh, they're going to know. So we better be doing it. And number one, can you guess what it is? What did I leave out? Set apart Christ as Lord in your heart. Isn't that an awesome New Year's resolution list? I'd rather do that. I'd, I'd rather gain a pound or two over this next year and do this. You know what I'm saying? So anyway, hopefully, hopefully that's helpful to you all. Let's pray together. Lord, we want to thank you once again 
for this special time that you've given us um, to be here this morning. Thank you for this new year that we're about to enter in. And Lord, I just pray that you uh, it just burn these things that we talked about uh, to, our, to, to, to our hearts, Lord, so that they become even more a part of who we are in you. Lord, especially especially a couple of those, well, all of them, some stick out to me, setting you apart as Christ, as Lord of our life. So many times I wake up personally and I don't do that. And uh, Lord, I just go about my own life and do the things I want to do. But Lord, help me to be uh, more like that, more setting you apart. And then Lord, this loving each other thing, man, that's a huge one because uh, there's a lot of people watching us, the world out there, even people inside of our own church, they're watching us. And Lord, we really need to treat each other with with compassion and love and live in harmony. So Lord, help us in all of these areas. Lord, we pray that you bring us back again next, next week in a new year. Uh, Lord, we pray that um, our growth groups can be a vital ministry here at Calvary and that people can be blessed because of them. Uh, Lord, we just thank you so much for your teaching this morning to us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.